decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods, where we don't have the Christmas decorations up yet. I was going to get the Christmas tree up yesterday, but I got called in to fill in for a sick bus driver. So I drove a, a bus route yesterday afternoon, and I didn't get the Christmas tree up. Planning on doing that today, so hopefully when we sign in tomorrow, there will be my little Christmas tree right back here. That is the plan, and plans often go astray. Best laid plans of mice and men and squirrels and all of that. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. And we are advancing in our read-through. I did not mark down yesterday on the checklist. I will do that now. We are progressing in our read-through of the Legacy Standard Bible Translation this year. We have two and a half more weeks. We are almost done with the year. It's flying by. Really is flying by. Hard to believe it's almost 2023. It's almost Christmas. It's almost all of these things. So we will be finished. Um, programming note, I will not be here the last week of the year. Those scripture readings will be pre-recorded. I am taking the 12 days of Christmas off. So I will not be here beginning on Boxing Day and will not return until January 9th. But, as I said, that last week we will finish up the scripture reading. I'm pre-recording those so they will stream and you will get them and we will finish out the year together even if only by video. But I'm going to take a couple weeks off and rest and relax and recuperate and prepare for next year's podcast and all of that good stuff. Also, um, Vaughn Community Bible Church posted my sermon from last Sunday, and I shared that on Facebook and Twitter and Gab, and I think I threw it on Gitter as well. If not, um, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Gab. So check that out. And let's see. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just trying to run through the check checklist this morning. Uh, I am on my third cup of coffee. But uh, the, the brain doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders right yet. I actually slept good. I've been awake since five. Got up, read some, took a shower. Just you know, I was up 45 minutes before my alarm goes off. But that's just the way things work sometimes. As soon as, you start, as soon as you fire up the podcast, the brain goes blank. All right. We are a, a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts over there. There's good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Today's scripture readings are going to be Job 1 through 3. And why that book's not called Job, I don't know. Job 1 through 3, Psalm 29, and Revelation 10. Then I've got two things I want to talk about. I mentioned yesterday I want to talk about the Christian origin of Christmas trees, and we will do that. I also want to talk about the current kerfluffle that's going on 
on social media right now on whether or not churches should cancel services on Christmas Day. So we're going to address both of those this morning. And without further ado, let us begin, as is our habit, with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now Job chapter 3 or chapter 1, 1 through 3. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the sons of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now it happened that when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, that Job would send and set them apart as holy, and he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all, for Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now it was the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh, and Satan also came among them. And Yahweh said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Then Yahweh said to Satan, Have you set your heart upon my servant Job? For there was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear God without cause? Have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But send forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do not send forth your hand toward him. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. Now it happened that on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother the firstborn, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell, up, fell upon them and took them. 
They also struck down the young men with the edge of the sword, and I have alone have escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the young men and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans set up three companies and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the young men with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother the firstborn. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and touched the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he give offense to God. Chapter 2 Again it was the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh, and Satan also came among them to stand himself before Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Satan, Where do you come from? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And Yahweh said to Satan, Have you set your heart upon my servant Job? For there is no one like him on, on, on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. So he incited me against him to swallow him up his vein. Satan answered Yahweh and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, send forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you in your face. So Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh and struck Job with terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then a wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the wickedly foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept calamity? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. Then Job's three friends heard of all this calamity that had come upon him. So they came, each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to console him and comfort him. Then they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Chapter 3 Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job answered and said, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said a man is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God seek it from above, nor light shine on it. Let darkness and shadow of death redeem it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of day terrify it. As for that night, let thick darkness take it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. 
let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren, let no joyful shout enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it hope for light but have none, and let it not see the breaking dawn. Because it did not shut the opening of my mother's body or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did, I not, why did I not die from the womb, come forth from the womb, and breathe my last? Why did my knees receive me, and why the breasts that I should suck? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then. It would have been rest to me. With kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt the waste places for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who were filling their houses with silver, or why was I not like a miscarriage hidden away as infants that never saw light? There the wicked cease from raging, and there the weary of strength are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is troubled, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but there is none? and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who are glad with joy and rejoice when they find the grave. Why is light given to the man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my roaring pours out like water. For the dread that I dread comes upon me, and what I am afraid of befalls me. I am not complacent, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, and raging comes." Now Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of splendor. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Indeed, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire. The voice of Yahweh causes the wilderness to tremble. Yahweh causes the wilderness of Kadesh to tremble. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everything says glory. Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Yahweh will give strength to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. Now, Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little scroll which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the earth, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the earth lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, 
who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he proclaimed good news to his slaves, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again, speaking with me, saying, Go, take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it, and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth, it, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And then said to me, and they said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This is the word of the Lord. And now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the Collect for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. The Christian origin of Christmas trees. Now, I take this from a, an article from the G3 website, that was written by Dr. Scott Annual, who um, is a friend of mine. I know him. He is one of my professors at GBTS. I recently took his Theology of Worship class, um, which taught me a great deal and made me consider things that I had not considered even after 15 years as a senior pastor. And so that was a, a very good class, and I highly recommend his book, from Glory to Glory, which is the, the basically the, the outline of the class. Outline of the class. It's basically the class in print that he, he teaches um, and is based on the notes for this very class on theology of worship that he, that he taught when he was at uh, Southwestern. So he wrote this article. It's called, Is Christmas a Pagan Holiday? And he draws on the fact that, you know, there were, there was a time, especially when the Puritans outlawed Christmas. They did it in England and they did it in New England. And the reason they did so was because Christmas in England, because they were English, and probably elsewhere in Europe, but, but especially in England, because that's where they were from. 
Christmas had become a time of drunken revelry. I mentioned some of this yesterday. It had become a time of drunken revelry because it's the middle of winter. It was an agrarian society. And farm folks don't have a lot to do in the winter. They have to care for the animals, but there's no tending crops in the field. It's winter. They're under snow. So they have to, you know, they, they feed the animals, and then they basically have a lot of time on their hands. And it became a time of, like I said, drunken revelry, of, of, of partying. And I think it's, it's lost man's um, pattern to have any excuse for a party. And so Christmas was not about the birth of Christ. It was really about drinking and feasting and the excesses of the celebration, um, which had no focus in God or the birth of Christ or the worship of God. The excesses of, of the season caused the Puritans to reject it. Also the fact that, that there were a lot of Roman Catholic traditions that had been wrapped up in it. Um, and the Puritans had rightfully um, opposed much of that. So Christmas was outlawed by the Puritans. Now, in modern times, there are groups of Christians who would not be considered Puritan at all, but are, are basically coming out of fundamentalist backgrounds that decry the celebration of Christmas, seeing it as a pagan holiday that has been adopted by the Roman Catholic Church in ancient times is as a form of syncretism and that we should not be worshiping or we should not be celebrating Christmas because it's really pagan, etc., etc. And then there are those who are, you know, the controversy that surrounds the, the commercialism of Christmas. So... There are a lot of things that, that have accreed over, um, have accrued to the Christmas holiday that are troublesome. But should Christmas be celebrated? Is it a pagan holiday? And the, the, the thrust of Dr. Annual's article is no, it isn't. Um, it says, uh, you know, now, a national survey, he quotes here, he says, a recent national survey indicated that just over a tenth of Americans today believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the focus of Christmas, with almost nine out of ten people saying the holiday has become less religious. No shock there. Um, we live in a country that has become less and less religious in my lifetime just looking back over it, it, it's, we live in a time that is not 
godly in any ways. I mean, we just saw yesterday a huge celebration at the White House for the signing of the Disrespect for Marriage Act, which codifies into law unnatural unions between men and men and women and women, uh, which are contrary to nature and contrary to scripture, yet we are celebrating it. And the rain of fire and brimstone is coming. I mean, it's coming. Don't know when, but it's coming. Because God is just. And God is righteous and God will not be mocked. And the fact that the promise that he gave and the reminder of the promise that he gave not to destroy the world again by flood has been adopted by this vile, ungodly movement as their symbol. If that's not mockery of God, I don't know what it is. But the rainbow is God's symbol not to flood the earth. And the, its use as the symbol of sexual depravity and license and, and sinfulness of a vile nature is abhorrent. So we do live in a country that's become less and less religious and less and less godly openly in rebellion against the creator of the world. But what about the celebration of Christmas? Dr. Annual writes that much of the controversy surrounding Christmas is rooted in historical speculation. Countless arguments against celebrating Christmas have included stories of Druid tree worship, pagan festivals, and human sacrifice. A brief sketch of the history of the Christmas celebration may shed some light on the controversy. Opponents of Christmas often insist that the Christmas celebration and many of the traditions that people use today have their roots in pagan worship traditions. They argue that early Roman Catholics merged their Christmas celebrations with already established pagan feasts, compromising the pagans in order to pacify them and maintain peace in the empire. Even if this were true, it would not necessarily discredit celebrating Christ's birth on December 25th today, See conclusion number three below. We'll get there. Nevertheless, there is very little concrete evidence to support such claims. And he goes on to point out the fact that the, the uh, um, much of the Christmas as a pagan holiday stuff has its origin among pagan university professors who are trying to discredit the church and discredit the scripture and discredit the celebration of Christ and throw mockery on it. In, in a lot of ways, it's, it's uh, that, that masterful um, Lutheran satire video, Horace Runs Christmas, where the, the animated pastor in that video totally demolishes the claims that the Christian origins are Horus or Mithras or Quetzalcoatl or what other pagan deities they like to point to. 
And there are actually more calculated decisions about celebrating Christmas on December 25th than the adoption of a pagan festival. Folks, there are only 12 months in the year. And any Christian event based in history is going to be close to some pagan event or other. A lot of that has to do with Satan trying to co-op creation and the worship of God. Some of it is, is you know, I mean, there are four astronomical events that ancient peoples everywhere observed. The spring solstice, the fall solstice, the summer or the, the spring and fall equinoxes and summer and winter solstices. The, the longest day of the year, the shortest day of the year, and the equinoxes when we change from winter to spring and from summer to fall. These are astronomical and have, you know, been observed, especially, I mean, we live in cities with artificial lights and we rarely go outside and we rarely look at the sky. And when we look up at the sky, we can barely see it because of the light from the city. And most of us live in cities. Yes, I live out in the middle of the woods. I have nice, clear, beautiful skies, and I rarely go out and look at them. I won't say I don't look at them, but I rarely go out and look at them. I certainly don't look at them with the intensity and interest of ancient peoples. And so the fact that, you know, December 25th is close to... Um, the winter solstice, you know, means that there's going to be celebrations of the winter solstice around this time of year in just about every culture on Earth because it's an astronomical event that every ancient culture noticed and, and took notice of. But there's also, based upon the, the course of priests that John the Baptist uh, was a member of and when they serve in the temple and the fact that Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary became pregnant with, with Jesus, that points to a birth time toward the end of December. Um, there are some, some speculation and assumption involved in those calculations, but it shows that there's actually reasons for December 25th. And uh, the, the settling of December 25th um, was done long before the Roman Saturnalia festival was instituted by Emperor Aurelian in 274. December 25th had already been established. So you can argue about, you know, whether the pagan festivals or the, the celebration of Christ's birth came first, but, you know, it is true that the celebration of Christ's birth eventually degraded into this drunken uh, debauchery. And so that's why after the Protestant Reformation, many Protestant believers 
were concerned about what Christmas had became, Dr. Annual writes, that they banned the festivals altogether. So he says that Christmas was outlawed in England in 1645 under Oliver Cromwell, but was reinstated when Charles II was restored to the throne. And we looked yesterday, that, that period of time when it was outlawed is the origin of Father Christmas in England because he was a figure in the pamphlets. But we were going to talk about Christmas trees. So let me scroll down to Christmas trees. A lot of this we talked about yesterday. So this is what Dr. Annual writes about Christmas trees. One of the staple traditions of Christmas observances is the decoration of an evergreen tree. Though this seems to be one of the more accepted customs for Christians, it is nevertheless rejected by some for many of the same reasons they spurn the celebration of the holiday itself. Similar to arguments against the Christmas celebration itself, controversies surrounding the Christmas tree almost always include an insistence that trees were objects of pagan worship in winter solstice festivals. There may be some truth to these claims, but valuing the beauty and symbolism of evergreens was hardly limited to pagan worships, worshipers. Because evergreen trees remain green throughout the winter season, they have historically reminded people that the rest of the green plants would grow again when the sun was stronger and summer would return. For people around the world, evergreen trees have symbolized life and growth without any connotations of worship. Trees have also had significance for Christians. And most of the traditions connected with Christmas trees today began as Christian customs. During the 11th century, religious theater was born to help the illiterate masses understand the truths of the scripture. One of the most popular plays concerned Adam and Eve, their fall and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was represented by a firm fir tree hung with apples, which represented both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The play ended with the prophecy of a coming savior, and for this reason, this particular play was often enacted during the Christmas season. The one piece of scenery, the paradise tree, became a popular object and was often set up in churches and private homes. It became a symbol of the Savior. Since the tree represented not only paradise and man's fall, but also the promise of salvation, it was hung not merely with apples, but also with bread or wafers representing the crucified body of Christ, and often sweets representing the sweetness of redemption. The wafers were later replaced by little pieces of pastry cut in the shape of stars, angels, hearts, flowers, and bells. Eventually, other cookies were introduced bearing the shapes of men, birds, roosters, and other animals. Martin Luther was the first to add lighted candles to a tree to recreate the beauty of stars twinkling amidst evergreens. So this is mainly German. It says, German and English immigrants brought the Christmas tree to America. Um, actually, and, and just like the Dutch brought Santa Claus. Here too, fruits, nuts, flowers, and lighted candles adorned the first Christmas tree, but only the strongest trees could support the weight without drooping. Thus, German glass blowers began producing lightweight balls to replace heavier natural decorations. These lights and decorations were symbols of the joy and light of Christmas for many. So the Christmas tree, yes, they're, they're, the, the pagans in Northern Europe used evergreens and, and the Druids of England 
Holly was was a, or, or uh, not Holly uh, mistletoe was sacred to them, and and Holly has long been a symbol of winter because I think Holly's an evergreen, isn't it? And the red berries come out in midwinter. Um, but all of these plants and decorations, the the pagan use of trees and mistletoe and whatnot occurred hundreds of years before the introduction of the Christmas tree. Um, and so the, the, the Christmas tree, which didn't really become popular in America until the 1800s and didn't become popular in England until the 1800s, it was Queen Victoria who introduced the Christmas tree to England, really, um, because she was of German descent. The, the ruling family of England was German at the time, still is. Um, their family origins are German. Uh, they're more English than German now, of course. But, and of course, the Angles and the Saxons were German tribes, so there's a long Germanic history of England English is a Germanic language. I mean, let's be real. Uh, with quite a bit of French thrown in for good measure because of the Normans. So, the origin of the Christmas tree, as popularly celebrated today, really is Christian. So there's no need to, to you know, misquote and misapply Isaiah's statements about, you know, wooden idols, which has nothing to do with the Christmas trees. He's talking about the carving of gods for worship and temples, which is a completely different thing entirely. You know, Christmas trees, nobody worships them. The day after Christmas, you know, it, near here, they, they have places in parks where people can dump their Christmas trees where they will be chipped up and used by the park service and whatnot. Which, which is just awesome and absolutely fine. We have ha always had an artificial Christmas tree. It goes back in a box. So that, you know, it, we always know what size it is. We always know it's going to fit in the room. We always know it's going to have nice full branches. Um, you know, I grew up with live trees. And, and for many years, we had a friend who had a tree farm. And we would go to his place every year and cut the family Christmas tree and take my little daughter when she was tiny and we would pick out the tree and they would cut it and load it on the top of the car while we were in the barn drinking hot chocolate. It was really a fun, they, they did a nice job at that tree farm. Um, sadly, my understanding is that the, the husband and wife got divorced and, and when I drive past there now, it's just a wildly overgrown place um, and and no longer the uh, the lovely tree farm it was. Um, the trees have just been allowed to grow wild and so now it's just this forest grove but it's too dense to be a forest grove. It really needs to be thinned out and, and whatnot because the trees were close together, which was fine when they're five, six feet tall, but once they get 20, 30, 40 feet tall and spread out, they were so close together that it's just a thicket. 
but that's neither here nor there. So don't get upset about Christmas trees. Um, obviously, don't go against your conscience. If you are absolutely convicted that Christmas trees are wrong, don't have one. But do not try to impose your conscience on others. Um, this is, you know, Christmas trees really are a Romans 14 issue. But what is not a Romans 14 issue is church on Christmas Day. When Christmas falls on a Sunday, then churches should have services. Now, I tweeted yesterday, excuse me, I tweeted yesterday that I think churches should have services on Christmas every year, regardless of what day of the year it is. Get up in the morning, open your presents. Maybe I was talking to a friend of mine, he said they, they would open small presents, like stocking stuffers. Then they would have breakfast, and then they would go to church, and then they would come home from church. He's English. They come home from church, they would have Christmas dinner, then they would open the packages, the, the big presents. So it made Christmas, you know, I mean, for most of us, you know, in a lot of ways, Christmas ends when you take up, pick up all the wrapping paper and stuff it in the trash can. And that's usually by, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. My family always had breakfast on Christmas. But when Christmas was on a Sunday, we went to church. And twice when I was pastor at Parkside Baptist, Christmas came on Sunday, 2011 and 2016. And we had services. I never even thought of canceling services. And it wasn't until 2016 that I heard of churches canceling services. And when I heard of it, I had kind of the same reaction I have now. It's like, no, you don't cancel services on Sunday because it's Christmas Day. If anything, that should be a much more joyous Sunday than a regular Sunday. It's like Easter Sunday. You know, the, the, the traditional church calendar revolved around two events, Easter and Christmas. Um, and, and sadly, it's only liturgical churches. And, and I think Baptist churches and Reformed churches need to be more liturgical, honestly. But it's only the, the quote-unquote liturgical churches that seem to observe the, the church calendar at all. And a lot of Protestant churches, especially, not that there aren't liturgical Protestant churches, but a lot of the, the let's just say the churches that came out of the revivalist tradition, by which I mean most American Baptist churches and most Pentecostal churches, ignore the church calendar. They view it as you know, Roman Catholic, and, and we're not going to do any of that papist stuff, forgetting that the church calendar long predates the formation of Roman Catholicism. Um, but the church calendar always focused on, or revolved around Christmas and Easter. Those were the biggest holidays of the year for Christians. Holidays being holy days, 
which is the origin of the word holiday, is holy day. And holy days are days for holy observance. So I would love to see Christian services, church services, on Christmas Day, no matter what day of the week it is. And in fact, if I'm ever pastoring a church again, that's one of the things that I, I will try to instill. So we're going to have services on Christmas Day. It's not going to be a long service, you know, I mean, an hour. We're not going to have a huge long sermon. We're going to get together, joyously sing Christmas carols, read the Christmas story, celebrate the birth of our Savior, talk about the gospel, give everybody a hug, have a cup of hot cocoa, and go back to our homes for Christmas dinner. That's That should be every church, every Christmas. That's just my own conviction. So, to but many people are, are, are you know, the, the fact that churches are being canceled on this Sunday because, or on Christmas Day, because, well, that's family time. No, it's God time. And the fact that it's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, means that churches should be open. Now, what if a family has their day full and they go to Christmas Eve services, but they don't go to Christmas morning services? They should probably go to church. I, I Unless there's a valid reason not to go to church. You're homebound, you're traveling, you're away from home, or, you know, there's a valid reason you have to work, which people do. Um, if you have a valid reason not to attend church on Sunday, then there's no legalistic requirement that you have to go to church on Sunday. I don't hold to Sunday being the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday. That was for Israel. That was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, and there's whole discussions there. It was a sign between God and the nation of Israel. No pagan nation was ever condemned by God for not keeping the Sabbath. Israel was punished for profaning the Sabbath. And the Sabbath command is the only one of the Ten Commandments not repeated to the church. And Sunday is not a Sabbath day on which you cannot do any work and all the regulations that pertain to the Sabbath. The Sabbath, in addition to being the sign of the Mosaic Covenant that was between, just as circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic Covenant, Sabbath keeping was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. The Lord's Day, Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. That's the day that we meet. There's no legalistic requirement not to work that day. Indeed, if you go back to the early church, that was a regular day of work, which is why most church services were in the evening for hundreds of years. So they would, you would work during the day, and then you would go to church on Sunday evening. And that was celebrating the Lord's Day. But you had to do your work first. Especially when Christianity was outlawed, nobody was going to give you time off for Christian worship. 
and no one was condemned for that. I mean, by God, by Scripture. There's no condemnation in Scripture of working on the first day of the week. The other thing is the Sabbath is a picture of our resting in the finished work of Christ as opposed to trying to work for our salvation. But having said all that, unless you can't go to church, you should go to church. Do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. And so when your church meets on the Lord's day, if you can be there, you should. Now, if you're homesick, if you're away from home, you know, all of these things, like last Sunday, I did not attend my home church because I was preaching three hours further east. So I was at church, but I wasn't at my church. But I did gather with the saints and worship. So should churches be open on Sundays? Yes. Is there a legalistic requirement that you attend church? No. It's not a salvific issue. Um, I do not believe the Sabbath commandment and the Sabbath regulations apply to Sunday. I don't believe they apply to the church. And that includes Jewish Christians. Because Jewish Christians are not part of the nation of Israel. They're part of the church. Because this is the church age. Now when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the, God will turn his attention back to Israel. And he has a plan for Israel. He also has a plan for all the nations. Um, and yeah, that's my dispensationalism talking. And I stand by those interpretations. And we can have that talk for another time. So folks, it, and, and I said this this morning too, if my church was not open on Christmas, if they decided to cancel churches on Christmas, and I'm not part of the leadership at my church, if my church decided not to have services on Sunday because it was Christmas Day, I would be looking for a new church. I really would. And the reason is, that would indicate to me a serious difference in ecclesiology and philosophy of worship between myself and the leadership of the church. Now, I don't believe there is a serious difference in philosophy and and uh, ecclesi philosophy of ministry and ecclesiology between myself and the leadership of my church. There are some differences, but they're not major. Um, obviously, if they were major, I wouldn't be worshiping there. But that's, you know, that would be an indicator to me that this is probably not the church for me, that they don't view church in a sufficiently similar way to the way I view it for me to be comfortable worshiping there. And I've, I, I've had several people, I've, I've, since I started making these comments on social media, I've had people reach out to me saying they, their church is closed and they can't find a church in their area that's open on Christmas Day. Um, I'm you know, thinking about trying to point them to the nearest ACNA church, some of which are excellent, some of them aren't. I don't agree with their pedo-baptism, and I do have ecclesiological differences with the Anglicans, but at the same time, I very much appreciate the Bible-believing Anglicans and would gladly worship with them. So, 
that's my two cents on should churches be open on Christmas. Yes, they should. And Christians should attend church if at all possible. You know, and that's, I mean, we have canceled church when I was pastor. We canceled church a few times because of snowstorms, because it was not safe to be on the road and drive to church. One day I couldn't even get out of my driveway. So we have canceled church for, for safety reasons. Um, we canceled church one time because we had a heating issue where it was the middle of winter, it was very cold, and the furnace quit. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, you come and freeze to death. We had no other source of heat. <laughs> so it wasn't like we could build a fire in a fireplace. Um, so the, you know, there have been reasons why we've canceled church. But those have been safety and or practical reasons why church was impractical those days had nothing to do with, you know, God. I mean, if you're going to cancel church for Christmas, why not cancel church for Super Bowl Sunday? You know, and one of the things that, that got me is one of the things I was reading was uh, they decided to cancel church at our church because they did a survey and attendance was going to be low. That's a mega church problem. You know, what do you consider low attendance? <laughs> you know, if 10 people show up, are you going to have church? Absolutely. You know, I don't care if it's a thousand seat auditorium. If 10 people show up, have everybody move up front and have church. If there's more people in the choir than in the congregations, have church. I, I, have church. Worship God. You know, the, the, yeah. Read the word, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word. Gather with the saints and worship our creator. Worship our redeemer. I, I, I just don't get Christians who look for excuses not to go to church. And, and I, I just don't get it. So, yeah, it's only Wednesday, but go to church on Sunday. Folks, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. I got a doozy of a topic tomorrow. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.